Well, Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, Merry Christmas. It is Christmas today, too. Yes, it is. And Happy Holidays. As I told my secular friends on Facebook today, I said, uh, and for you seculars out there, Happy Belated Solstice. Yes. It's, uh, you know, if anything that starts out with kind of merry or happy, you have to worry less about whatever follows. Just kind of, I, I go through a lot of life. It, I I, uh, I discussed my relationship with my wife when, when I was away at school. We'd be on the phone, and a lot of times I just couldn't hear what she was saying. She's, I'm a loud talker. She's a soft talker. And uh, well, not always, but, but usually. <laughs> I'm just a little joke there. Anyway, uh, uh, and, and sometimes I tell my kids this, you know, sometimes I just wasn't exactly sure, and I'd asked a couple of times, so it was just yes. And I found that if you're not sure, yes. I mean, it could get you in trouble, but it also is just probably going to get you through that conversation. So, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I figure if someone starts off with Mary or happy, uh, you know, that I don't, I don't have to worry so much about what's going to come next. Very good. And, and everything's going swimmingly on, uh, all the political fronts, uh, <laughs> economic fronts, <laughs> medical, social. So, Hey, what me worry. Uh, yeah, what worry? Uh, I was just looking at the titles from last week, and uh, until we get to today's Merry Christmas, they don't really sound all that positive. Which is a graphic, a, a, a pretty picture, and a quote. That's a positive quote. It's not dealing with any of the news. Right. But we might as well we might as well face it, uh, as we do five times a week. This is CommonSense.org. And uh, this week we, we played hooky on Christmas with just a, a nice graphic, something you could post on Facebook or MeWe or whatever uh, new, new uh, social media might pop up next. But our first one was the censor's conceit. This is such an important story in that it touches on so much of what's going on in the world today, the big picture of what's going on in the world today. This is a story. The, here's the question we asked to begin. Is it okay to stop people from talking to prevent them from saying things that are possibly incorrect? You know, we have a, a pandemic, we have a virus, COVID-19. It has a very tiny percentage of the people who get it die, but a lot of people seem to be capable of getting it. And of course, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, who, who have died and, uh, and who that was a trigger or that was one cause, you know, we can't quite get the stats, you know, broken down on in any sensible way, but, you know, one way or another, it, it played a role in those deaths and, uh, it's a bad thing. It's something I'm sure trying to avoid getting, but like anything, how do how do we deal with new problems that come up? They come up from time to time. Usually, seems like these pandemics hits every hundred years. That's that's nice, you know. If you live just the right time and uh, don't get to a hundred, you you might miss them. So, but but how do we deal with it? And in essence, you know, this came from China. That's where it was first dealt with. It was dealt with a little funny in terms of letting people get on airplanes and fly to the United States and other places, but. Uh, it was dealt with in a very harsh lockdown, uh, bolt people into their apartment buildings uh, in a very totalitarian manner. 
And some people have applauded that. And of course, across the 90, 100 miles of the Taiwan Strait is Taiwan, uh, which China would like to invade and conquer and take over. Uh, Taiwan would prefer that not happen. Uh, I'd prefer that uh, strongly as well. Um, but Taiwan dealt with the virus in a completely different way. Uh, the government was very much involved, but in dealing with people as free individuals, in being there to provide information and, and help, uh, but basically their population in a free basis opted to do smart things. Part of it is they'd been through, um, excuse me, uh, they had been through uh, SARS and and this sort of thing uh, that, you know, SARS to people in the United States was, uh, you know, turned out to be a big nothing. Well, <laughs> the people who got SARS, it was not a big nothing, I assure you. And, um, and Taiwan was hit uh, by that, and I don't know all the stats and so on, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where they had a little bit of a dry run, and that helps a lot in, in human endeavors, it seems to. Um, but there, there tends to be this look to, you know, the competence of experts and totalitarian control and freedom and people doing lots of different things and, and being free to do different things. And that's why there is that variation. <laughs> if they're free in China, they'd be doing different things. So it has nothing to do with the people. It has to do with the system. Well, to make a long story short, I think you're aware of, of that part of the world you need to be that, that we're still in a battle between freedom and what ends up being totalitarian, whether it's kind of the cultural revolution of, of the, uh, you know, that, that Mao instituted come to the United States as part of the new political correctness. Um, you know, I, I've joked that, that the United States is the freest totalitarian country in the history of, you know, the earth. Um, so much of what people say a lot in politics today is this idea that the government can do everything, that it can just magically do everything. And that is the idea in China. And they don't want democracy to get in the way of their experts in the Communist Party. The Communist Party, I believe it's about 90 uh, 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 million people uh, in a country of 1.4, almost 1.5 billion people. So it is, by definition, aristocracy, really probably doesn't even reach that level. But some people have super advantages and privileges, and others don't. And, uh, and yet we have people in the United States who rail against privilege, who, in essence, are advocating, when push comes to shove, the same thing, that the government ought to be in charge of almost everything, and that we ought to have some kind of social credit score. Who had the most advantages? Who had the least advantages? China does that right now, and they're doing it on did you pay your bills and different things. But there are people in, I think, the United States of America who would argue, let's do it on, you know, are you a woman? Are you this sort of woman? You know, blonde hair, take away another point, this, that. Uh, you know, it's it, that sort of, and, and whatever your scheme is, it, we really don't even have to reach the merits of your particular, it's about race or it's about class or it's about, if, you're, if your methods are totalitarian, it means we have no control and it's over. And everybody who's had that opportunity to be Mr. Totalitarian, I mean, just horrible, 
horrible, horrible things have happened. And we all kind of recognize that, but they're ugly and we don't think about them. And we seem to think that that was just some bizarre thing that we have no way to stop. Well, we do have a way to stop it. It's called the rule of law. It's called freedom. It's called allowing individuals, private people to have enough of their own dignity and power and wealth that they are a block. Um, I was discussing with uh, some young people uh, politics and different things, and I'm, I'm going on way tangent here, and that's, that's par for the course. But uh, I thought one of the things that I wanted them to know, I was thinking as I'm listening, you know, what, 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 do I, what should I impart here? And one of the things that I think Americans ought to realize is, and maybe I said this last week now that I think of it, but, but it bears repeating. So, uh, um, and it is, yeah, that's right. It, um, there are places in the world where if the government goes to war with the people, the people are going to have a hard time overtaking the government. China is one of those places. Could still happen. Almost did in Tiananmen Square. Um, but they didn't have the weapons. They didn't have the ability. They Lots of them could get shot before anything happened. The United States of America, because of the Second Amendment and because of our frontiers, men, woman, you know, uh, history, uh, we have such gun ownership. We have the firepower in private hands to defeat our government if they step out of line. Now, I don't think that will last for long unless we find democratic means to hold them at bay. You know, nobody wants to live their life with weapons holding, you know, oblivion at bay all the time. That's, you know, to, to live on the on the DMZ for your all your life worried that there's going to be war. You know, that's not what we're looking for either. We want more than that. So it's it's not a matter of, oh, we can somehow hold them in check because the truth is just by weapons alone, we can't. We have to be smarter than that. We have to have democratic means to have a government that's run for us and not for the folks in Washington. And we'll get to our last script, which is why Congress can't read. But we have to do something about that. And now I'm gonna leave that, and I'm gonna jump all the way back to the first one about this New York Times article, which is about China and about the thought control, speech regulation, speech censorship that was practiced in China over the coronavirus. And basically the New York Times, it was a it was a piece where they were, you know, noting that they were censoring quack opinions, bad information, but also were censoring all kinds of things. And they weren't just censoring, they had a whole propaganda army. They had thousands and thousands and of people who were online spreading the government's information. They do that outside of China, too. They have all kinds of, you know, misinformation, government agents who are spreading uh, misinformation or, or spin or, or what have you. Um, I don't, you know, I don't value very highly what the Chinazis say, just as, you know, what, what Hitler said. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to value that very highly. The, um, so in this piece, there's this mixing of, you know, it's kind of, well, there's like the good censorship, 
And there's the bad censorship. There's the censorship of stuff that, oh, we don't want anyone to believe that crazy stuff. And the censorship of political speech that someone's saying, hey, that's not right. Well, there's not like some strobe light that's on the one and not on the other. And it's not like governments would pay any attention to it if there was. And it's not like we have all the information that we can say there's truth. And if you say anything that doesn't fit truth, we have to like block that. That's the dark ages. That is, it, it is everything that, that the enlightenment, that, that it, everything that has led to human abundance, led to human freedom. Um, it's just to think that we would somehow say, no, we have to we have to have censors from on high who will. And, and this is all why we're talking about helping the little guy. We're going to help the little guy, but we're going to have some huge censor up on high determine what can be said and not said. And it's this stupid. Well, we have to follow the science as if science doesn't work. There. Science isn't an it. It's a method. And it's just it we we have got to realize that that if we give up free speech, it's over. It is over. And in any little way, on any college campus, because someone feels unsafe, because someone said something that is normal political speech, in fact said something that isn't normal political speech, then they're just gonna have to be upset or they're gonna have to separate themselves. Or, you know, there's a zillion ways to allow freedom to bloom and people to say whatever they want without allowing people to scream in someone's face on, the, on their property or in a, in a certain situation. But we know where we're headed. And that is we had the head, the CEO of YouTube say that anything that didn't mesh with WHO, World Health Organization, the crackpot organization controlled by the Chinazis, and basically lying to hide the crap that the Chinazis were doing and not coming forward and telling the people of the world weeks ahead of time, which people, studies seem to say, would have made a huge, huge difference, like 90% difference. Maybe they're wrong. But if it made a 50% difference, how many, how many hundred thousand plus people is that? They said anything that goes against that, they would censor. Now, they, they haven't quite followed up on that, thank goodness. But that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And that is someone in a position of enormous power. And if I were president of the United States, I would not pretend that I can dictate everything that YouTube does. And I would not for a second suggest that, but I would publicly speak out about the danger that is in our society and the need for alternatives to YouTube if they're not gonna allow a robust debate. This is not just about free speech as some technical thing in a lawsuit. This is about the big, beautiful free speech of robust debate, of people saying all kinds of different things, and the wisdom of crowds causing people to say, look, I have the full information, I'm going here. And will people make mistakes? Yes. But they'll almost always be small mistakes and mistakes that they can freely correct instead of ginormous mistakes that no one person can correct 
because a bunch of losers in Washington committed the mistake and will never, ever admit that they committed it. So that's, and, and from a, you know, you can think of war and peace is pretty dangerous when you think of the, some of the stupid things these people can do, but health emergencies and pandemics, I don't feel very good about that being in their hands either. Well, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, your piece concentrated, I should mention the piece's name, which is uh, The Censor's Conceit. Uh, that was on Monday. And it gets right down to the basics when we uh, get to uh, the idea that what they're resting everything on is, is they believe they can censor for the truth, right? And everybody says, yeah, well, sure, if we're fighting for the truth, then of course, then of course we can censor. Just like it's really, it's really hard to fight against the truth. But that's a very unphilosophical position, as you were making, making out to, uh, to be. And it's a conceit, which is the title. Uh, it's a conceit that they think they can actually fight for the truth is all the time and enough of the time to make all the censorship worthwhile. It's too much to call it a conceit. I take back the title. No, it's too much to call it a conceit. It's a stupidity. It is a stupidity. <clears throat> it, they have no reason whatsoever to think that they found some magical, you know, 100% hold on truth. And for hundreds of years, we have recognized how dangerous that is and that that's not, that's not how science works. You know, even religions, I, I was reared in, in a Catholic church. The Catholic church doesn't go apoplectic if somebody says, some kid says something that's not right. And they're pretty dictatorial, here's the way it is. And, and, and that's, you know, other religions are that way, or more fire and brimstone, and that's great. You know, you're talking about stuff that you get to have your own opinion on. But it's the, it's the sort of thing where we have all of a sudden in the political sphere, which should be the place where we most celebrate diversity, we have decided that diversity of thought is somehow a bad thing. And that is crippling in every other way, too. I mean, it just we we will cease to have scientific advancements if people who are doing science don't have the ability to speak freely. We will cease to have you know, the, the sort of political system if people are not able to speak freely. And, and of course, right now, people um, will talk about our political system and the power of big money and so on. Uh, but as someone who is a practitioner in that system, uh, the, the biggest advantage to big money is the campaign finance system designed, supposedly, to hurt big money because it's so costly and so difficult to navigate for people who are not professionals and who don't have an extra couple hundred thousand dollars to spend on attorneys and accountants. And uh, it's a, you know, <clears throat> it's just one of many problems where we are looking for government to, they've caused the problem. The problem is the Congress is corrupted by their own vanity, by their own desire to get money from special interests, by whatever. They're corrupt, and so the solution is to give them the power to regulate campaign finance? And that's what every Democrat is in favor of, is to basically amend the First Amendment and say the Congress can make any reasonable campaign finance law they want. The incumbents running for re-election can make any reasonable campaign finance law they, they want. And you know why they have to amend the, the Constitution? Now, they're making it 
reasonable. So how who's going to determine reasonable? Well, of course, the Supreme Court of the United States will determine reasonable. Now, why do we have to do this amendment in the first place? Well, we have to do it supposedly because of Citizens United and because the court, the court has taken over. The court is a, a vicious evil power that we have to block. Therefore, we are going to empower the court. This is like, it's a trend. Congress is corrupt, so we should empower Congress. The court's too powerful and maybe a little corrupt, so we should empower the court. <laughs> this is an old problem we have, is that, you know, government is here to solve the problems that government causes. I mean, that's really, we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, Or not solve. But yeah. well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 the that's the argument is that uh, uh, Frederick Bastia put this really well in economic theory. You know, in terms of, you know, this is this is just the basic idea, and Ludwig von Mises famously also well not not famously enough explained why this is the case, and we're dealing with this all over the time. Now, I've actually amended this a little bit for a special special set of ideas because really what we're dealing with here was with statism, right? Which is not the liberal idea of the state, which is sort of in our founding documents, but with the robust idea of a nation state, which has been around for 150 years, uh, very strongly and, and, and dominant. And the people who love statism the most in America are the progressives. That's what they are, are statists, that they really want a robust state that decides things, that takes control and, and makes sure that they, you know that works here and you know, it's all technocratic and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think that what we often see is that... Uh, Progressivism is the solution for problems caused by progressives, uh, and that's I just I like to remind my progressive friends that that's what I, that's what they're doing most of the time is that now most of my progressive friends are still progressive in this way, but I like to remind some progressives that initiative and referendum was pushed by progressives back in the day, and that that's something that now. Uh, I mean, they, they tend to favor it in states where there's a Republican legislature and they could use it politically, but they don't favor it or protect it in states where Democrats have a majority. And, and of course, a lot of the Republican interest groups, they're the same way. It's I, I'm all for it when I need it because I'm out of power, but I'm not for it when I'm in power. Well, that's the first law of politics, isn't it? I mean, the first law being... Uh... When you're out of power, you're for freedom and openness and all those kind of things. When you're in power, you want more power. <laughs> you want to solidify and your that's, power. That's where you have to have some unity. And I think about, you know, one of the miracles that happen in our lives is Lech Walesa and the Solidarity Union in, in uh, Poland that overthrew the communists, that did so peacefully took great risks, you know, just you think of this guy sitting at home in, in Poland under communist rule and he can be arrested at any time. And he was arrested several times. And uh, and yet he's standing up and they're pushing for freedoms. And it's, uh, you know, it's 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 an amazing thing that uh, people can do that sort of thing. You know, they didn't have any weapons in in uh, Poland. They had some unity. And if in the United States we could reach unity on things like the process, let's have these voting. We, we should be convening, and I guess I could do it as well as anybody else. But one of my pet peeves this whole year has been on everything from judge, uh, you know, court packing uh, to every other issue. 
we're never consulted. We're, we're supposed to be spectators. Don't speak up, just listen and then decide, but you're not given any real information because we're not really supposed to, you know, we're, we're, the media doesn't think we're quite up to uh, making the right decision if they tell us too much. And, and so we need that, we need the unity to push past some of these things. We need the unity to term limit the Congress because we won't vote for anybody if they didn't vote that way. Uh, we need it on other issues. We need ways for the public to hold government in check in some way. And basically, it's not there. Um, you think about this this last election, uh, even at the presidential level where everyone's focused, uh, you have a lot of the country. I mean, they weren't happy with the two choices to begin with. And and Democrats are not going to be happy. They won. Republicans are not going to be happy. They lost. And the, the rest of everyone's going, well, how come we didn't get a choice? So uh, and, and at the local level, so often, you know, nobody's being opposed in, in a lot of the states, you know, with term limits. You know, Michigan, which has the strictest term limits in the country, has the most competitive state legislative races in the country. If you like competitive races, if you want more choices, then you like reforms like that. Well, the public does. They love them but they can't get them anywhere unless they can vote directly through the initiative process. They can't get legislators to do it. Why? Because your representatives say, no, I'm not representing you. I refuse to represent you and do something about it if you don't like it. I mean, that's what they're saying. And we can't, we can't seem to do anything about it. Which get, gets us to our fourth script. I just want to. Uh, are you going to cut two uh, Thursdays then? Cut to that because the the other two are really about just how screwed up it is, and um, no, let's let's leave this just you know as a kind of a cliffhanger here. We're all you know uh, we're we're aghast. We don't know where to look next. And I just want to mention two other scripts. Uh, uh, we say scripts because this was a radio production, and so we still always think of them as scripts. But one is evicting unjust evictions. And this is a case the Institute for Justice took. Sung Cho, he's a guy who owns a laundromat in New York City. The New York City police do a little sting where they get some of his customers, not his employees, not him, but some customers on his property to buy some items that are supposedly stolen and then try to basically evict him and hold him responsible because that was done on his property. Well, they did it on his property. It's the police who chose his property to do it on it. It wasn't anybody who works for him. It's complete. We have no real crime. We have no real crime. What the heck? Get this out of here. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you know stuff is... You know, they say don't sweat the small stuff. You know, I find that a lot of successful people do sweat the small stuff. And the small stuff usually is a sign of the bigger stuff. And and if that's the case, this is really big because that is sick. And here's the second six-story uh, Daria, the old MTV cartoon, which I loved when it came out when my oldest, I think, was like 13 or 14 or something. It, it's a teenage uh, girl angst 
Very funny, very funny. But they had this, they had this TV fake TV program. It was a real one on the show. It's a fake show, and and so the, it's called Six Ad World. And next on uh, next week on Six Ad World, and then it would have some terrible story. Well, here on our Six Ad World, the second story is the right to bear toy guns, and this is a story about Eliza Vada Zayatkis. Also in New York City. New York City. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, you would think that, that well, well, anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what you would think. But this is about the stupidest thing you could ever, ever imagine. They have arrested this woman on gun charges. Now, the guns she has were 21 guns that were starter pistols, they're props for different things. She uses them for play productions, for uh, particularly uh, has used them for a lot of um, rap uh, videos and so on. And so they're you know, kind of neat looking guns. I saw, you know, they show a picture. If you go to the story, this is commonsense.org, the right to bear toy guns. There's a link there. You There's picture, but there's also a link to the story, and you can see more pictures of these beautiful guns that are unworkable. She also had one gun, and they've kind of tried to use this to connect the others and make this some big deal that could put her in jail for 25 years. This weird Andy Griffith, Sheriff Taylor from Mayberry, is rolling over in his grave. My goodness. Um, how you put someone at that kind of jeopardy 25 years of their life for nothing, for nothing. They had, but she had one gun that was a real gun, except the, the firing pin, the whole gun is the, the, it was the, decommissioned it, basically. It was decommissioned. And, and it's, this isn't disputed. The New York city police department report says none of these were operable. This one was inoperable. Even the one that was at one point, a real gun, and, and yet the case goes on. The prosecutor won't drop the case. So this is this is another one where we just need to be have more citizen control to step up and go, wait a second. No, we're not doing this. And the truth is, we need we need governors and mayors and others who will who will say now, you know, we, we, you have to let justice continue to some degree. But to stand up and go, look, I'm not, you know, you're not going to get appointed to be my, you know, prosecutor if you're going to prosecute people on stupid stuff like this. I don't care what your what your win loss record is. <laughs> this is insane. And um, and, you know, we, we I think a lot of us suspect where this comes from. It comes from let's just make it such a hassle for anyone to ever think about or touch a gun toy or real that no one will ever have a gun. But as I mentioned earlier, one of the problems with that is we live in perhaps the only country in the world where the citizens, most of whom who have guns are committing no crime whatsoever, where the citizens have the firepower to defeat their government. The citizens in that way are actually in control of their government. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's the, the way I size it up and look at the, the various firepower. Um, and I want it to stay that way. I'm convinced, as we said, as we said before, if uh, 1989, 
if the, the, the students and the people in Beijing, as they were in Tiananmen Square, uh, had, had weapons, even a tiny percentage, uh, China might be a relatively free country today. So, so let's jump all the way ahead to why Congress can't read, because it is kind of a serious problem. <laughs> this week, we all heard, you know, oh my goodness, they've passed this COVID relief bill. It's got all these things for democracy programs in Venezuela, which you're kind of wondering the wasteful kind or the probably more dangerous and maybe you shouldn't do kind. You know, it's kind of, it's which bad is it? Um, you know, it, it, let's hear them out, but I'd, I'd sure like to hear more. A lot of these things are gotcha type stuff uh, where, well, where you want to know what are these democracy programs? What is this gender thing they're doing in Pakistan? What is the, and our news media should give us more information on that because oftentimes you'll find, oh, well, it's, it's this particular thing that maybe there is more of a cause for than you would have known. We, they, it seems like they stop so short in any of the reporting. We give the spin, here's how you're supposed to feel, let's move on. So um, <clears throat> it's like these democracy programs. What are they? Um, and why, why weren't we told? What is another paragraph, another sentence to say, you know, what, what exactly they're trying to accomplish with those in Venezuela? Here's the other thing. Almost everybody with a brain, and almost everybody has one, <laughs> except in Washington voting on this bill. And uh, uh, why is Venezuela and democracy programs or Pakistan and gender whatever studies, why are they in a COVID relief bill? Why, is, why does that happen? Well, there's only one reason, because this is a good opportunity to stick something in where it doesn't belong. That, I mean, that's the reason. Otherwise, they'd have a standalone. Hey, let's put this up standalone. Everyone loves it so much. I wouldn't want it to get muddled up in this big bill. So, of course, no. And nobody likes this. Let's stick it in the big bill. Um, or nobody likes it except for us. Because we, we have more power, more, more uh, say-so. So, so the COVID thing is, and of course, some people have a problem that's just $600. Well, I don't know where, I don't know where they're getting this money. <laughs> I have a feeling they didn't earn it. So uh, I have a real problem with making it two thousand. Um, you know, my wife and I get four thousand dollars, and that's four thousand dollars that you know I, I know I've overpaid for the services I've gotten so far. So as a refund, I'm thinking that's nice, but not really fair. I should get a lot more. But but uh, you know, I don't want them to go back and do that. And yet, of course. Trump should veto this bill. What if every president who ever got a bill like this vetoed it? They'd stop doing it at some point. It does give you a, a, a certain amount of leverage to be able to go, okay, now everyone has seen what a monstrosity you've done. But, uh, but I'm disappointed that Trump hasn't done more of that. Past presidents haven't done more of that. Oftentimes they've signed it. They've, they've bitched and moaned about it like, a, like they had no control and then signed it. The other thing, of course, is that Congress never reads the bills. This is not unusual. This wasn't a last minute. They knew this was coming for what, six months? This was not a last minute deal. And I mean, the deal might have been last minute, but there's no reason that people shouldn't have known different things in this or that they had to put all these different things in there. And, you know, we can talk as we did here. We, you know, we mentioned that 
in essence, uh, you know, we can talk about different reforms that could that Congress could do. But again, the problem's Congress. So, hey, you guys are out of control and badly need to be reformed. Would you mind reforming yourself? Well, that's not likely to happen. And it's not happening. And of course, them putting a limit on the length of the bill or some type of time limit before a bill can be passed. But of course, it could be an emergency. It could be national security. And so we have to have some way, if it's an emergency, to be able to do it right away. And so there'll be some out, which of course will be used every single time. Um, I mean, this is the, we've, we've talked several times, we've talked about medical stuff, how almost every time that they pass any big healthcare thing, they have a, a fix, a fix. Uh, they, the fix is in and then they take the fix out. The fix being in is that they are going to take money away from doctors. They're not going to pay doctors as much anymore for Medicare and, uh, and Medicaid. And so that's going to save a ton of money. Well, of course, they're not going to go through with it. They're going to pay doctors because otherwise doctors are going to go, you know what, I'm not taking any Medicaid patients. And now you're going to have this program where nobody can get any of the help that you're saying you're giving them. And it's going to be a mess. And so, and, and they don't even plan to do it. They just plan to get the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, to score the proposal with all the savings. And then later, they'll take, they'll do, you know, they'll fix the part they lied about, basically. This is a fraud, and it's been committed over and over and over again. And here's the fraud, the, the part of the fraud that I find most disturbing. The media knows this. Now, the Congressional Budget Office is somewhat controlled. They, they know it, too, but they, they have a, a, a kind of strict requirement that they, we take the information you give us, we do the numbers as best as we can, and we give you the result. And we don't play any of the politics or anything else. And they're somewhat respected by both sides, which <laughs> could make you the worst person in the world. But I actually think they do a, an okay job for what they do. The media has to tell us every time that, of course, this whole doctor's fix that saves this much, $400 billion, is unlikely to ever really happen. So it's probably at least $400 billion more than they're admitting. And they ought to do so in such a way that really it doesn't help the guys in Congress to lie anymore and to play this little game. But our media doesn't do it. They don't mention it at all. And then they act kind of surprised when the fix, the you know, the other part of the fix. And some of them may, in like a condescending way, go, well, of course, they, they've done this often. Well, why didn't you tell us then when they were doing it? No, no. Anyway, it's uh, I, I won't I won't go on and on about the media, but the it's you know the whole idea of America is self-government, citizen control of government. That's the way I like to say it because it seems like it's the most direct. Um, and how do you then set up citizen control of government? Well, some people would say you vote on everything; everything's democratic. I like Republican controls. I worry about mob rule. If you just made everything democratic, if there were no rights that were protected, then my God, you know, I could get waking up in the middle of the night. Oh, we just held the hell to vote. You got to get out of your house. It's somebody else's now. 
oh, wait a second, that happens all the time in America. It's called eminent domain for private use. Um, but, but those are the kind of things that can happen if you don't have any control of the government. And that's the problem. Look, we live in a very rich society. Um, it ain't bad. It's Christmas. It's nice. You know, there are plenty to eat, um, presents under the tree, no, no complaints. And so it's not surprising that people, you know, feel good about that. But, but I think anyone who looks at politics, if you were just, just beside yourself that they would at this time with a pandemic pass this bill that was just full of all kinds of other stuff of dubious uh, intent. Well, that's what they do all the time, all the time. That is not an aberration. That is the way Congress and our federal government work. And we got to do something about it. And the problem is we're so busy with the red team, blue team fight, different, different battles about different issues. We really have to be united on one issue, and that is who rules America. I have a friend, Eric O'Keefe, wrote a book called Who Rules America? And it was about term limits and about the ruling class, the political class in our country. Uh, it's on Amazon. You should grab a copy. Uh, it really is a very, very good book. Um, but that's the issue. It has to be the public. I, I, you know, I have very strong ideological views um, about what's right and wrong in, in politics. And as a libertarian, you know, I, I'm used to losing in Democratic votes. <laughs> I, I do it all the time. Um, but the more the citizens are in control, the better for me. And I'm more concerned about that than I am whether I win this guy for this particular office uh, or, you know, can cut this tax by 10 percent today. You know, I'd, I'd be I'd feel better than cutting it to know that I had allowed citizens to be in charge of it in some way. Long term, that's the solution to things. And it's it's a. Uh, you know, it's complex world. We don't get everything we want, but that's the that's the direction we have to go in. And in this script, why Congress can't read, <clears throat> I ask people to I, I point out, look, we can't seem to get term limits through Congress because Congress won't pass it. Surprise, surprise. Um, one of the reforms I advocate, and of course, term limits, they're going another way. They're going the convention route, get the states to do that. We will be following up this script with more about how a convention called by the states could happen that could limit um, Congress and could limit the federal government and could empower the people in different ways. And um, I also talk about representation and the fact that we have districts in the Congress, the, the average house district, I believe is 710, 715,000 people. It's so large that you don't know your congressman. He doesn't know you. He doesn't want to know you. He wants your vote. He wants your money. He'll go to Washington. He'll have a great life. Um, if you like that deal, then, <laughs> then, then you have it. Uh, but if you want more, if you want him to actually represent you, um, it's not going to happen in districts like that. Not unless you're doing a lot of favors for him. 
he's handling a lot of money in Washington. He's got his vote. And um, and the system that we have is not, uh, hey, we know Joe or Sally. Uh, they've always been great citizens, community people. Let's have them go. Um, can you imagine if in New Hampshire they have their state house is 450 members, uh, no, 400 uh, uh, members, 400 delegates, and that averages 3,000 per district, 3,000 constituents. Can you imagine in a district that has 3,000 constituents, someone running nasty TV ads? Well, the, the district's too small. You Even if you did it on cable, it's like, we know Sally. We know her. We went to school with her. We, you know, where she moved here a few years ago, but she, I see her at the grocery store all the time. I mean, she doesn't look like that. And there's never that ominous music playing. And, and people who are worried about big money, nothing would destroy the advantage big money has like small districts where you know people, where you can actually talk. And, and it's not all stuff in the mail and radio ads and TV ads and so on. So um, we, I ask people, any ideas you have, any ideas how we can get out of this trap of Congress being unwilling to do anything that might reform it and give citizens more control because we've got to get more control. And what are, what are the issues we could use that would highlight it? I think term limits is a great issue and one that is being used what else is there? And is term limits, is that is that one that you'd want to put at the top or where would you put it on the list? What other ones? What, you know, what what uh, tactics in terms of, you know, how do we reach more people? How do we how do we deal with some of the censorship on YouTube, on on Facebook, on Twitter? Um, there's, there's a lot to be done. And <laughs> damn it, we got to do it. There's, it's not like the networks are going to cover everything and say, hey, here's here's the news. You guys make decisions. They're going to spin everything and they're going to spin it that, you know, basically big government is the answer to all of it. Let's get experts like them. We're the media experts. Let's talk to medical experts and then political experts and then some other expert. And we'll have everything just wonderful for you. Uh, keep that mask on. Anyway, it's it's. It's got to be led by us. And and uh, anything this program can do this week in Common Sense, anything we can do with Common Sense uh, at thisiscommonsense.org, uh, we want to do it. And I hope to hear from you. Uh, if it's on YouTube and in the, in the comments section at the website, uh, we always have comments. Please leave them, ideas, uh, anything you can do to help. If you want to get involved in things that are happening, and maybe you say, look, I don't know what to do. My goodness, Paul, I got to do everything. Hey, if you don't know what to do, but you say, I want to do something to help, put your put your phone number, your email address, your your Facebook, whatever. Uh, and, um, and of course, you can like us at Common Sense with Paul Jacob on Facebook. Did I get them all? I think you got pretty much everything. You're on MeWe, too. Uh, so, That's right. Under your name? Under my name. And I am going to sign up for something, uh, hopefully by the first of the year, okay. uh, 2021, uh, so that we'll have a, a actual page for Common Sense. Okay, yeah, and on YouTube, people should be, as they say, uh, 
subscribing to the channel and clicking the bell. Otherwise, they don't remember, they don't see us very often. So there's a lot of things that people can do that are very easy. I didn't know about clicking the bell. If you don't click the bell, you're not going to get notifications properly. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, and this is old news. It's like two or three years old now, maybe four years old. So it's they, they made it more difficult to get I'm, stuff. I'm about mentally four years old myself. So. Okay, there you are. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, we're all. You can also find us if you look around on BitChute. You'll probably find in a search on BitChute. I put it on my website, and uh, we'll get other other sites going pretty soon as well. Well, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And we'll probably have another episode of this uh, on New Year's Day. Yes. Okay. Thank you. You have been listening to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and I help Paul every weekend with one of these podcasts. During the week, Paul Jacob writes his weekday columns at thisiscommonsense.org. You can get them, of course, at the website, but also as PDFs from the website and easily share them with others, or print them out. And the columns are also available by email notification. And what can we say about this podcast? Well, it's called This Week in Common Sense. It comes out in audio and video formats. On video, it's on YouTube. And in audio, you'll find it hosted on SoundCloud.com. And you'll find it through various podcatchers. I think what we have, Apple, we have Google. We have Pocket Cast, we have Stitcher, and who knows how many more are just automatic. So join Paul on Me, We, or Facebook, and I think you'll enjoy the community. Until next weekend, happy holidays.